Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on this week's show, your thoughts and opinions about the attempted Americanization of European soccer, why MLS journalists have largely been silent about the Super League, what NBC missing out on NHL rights means for the Premier League, and your feedback in the listener mailbags segment. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, this week... We're letting the listeners take over the show. I mean, this is going to be probably, this is probably, ever, ever since we've been doing this this version of, of this podcast, which is like now, what, over three years, uh, the amount of mail we get is enormous, um, which is much bigger than what we got in the past, even though in the way distant past, the, number, the actual download numbers were higher. We got very little feedback, very little mail. It, it's So it's become so targeted, so niche. And such a hot topic this week, talking about the European Super League, uh, all sorts of different opinion, opinions. We'll get into that in a little bit, Kartik. But a week ago, you were ready to hand in your Man City season tickets. And now Man City, after that, after that performance on Wednesday, uh, do you believe in them still? Uh, I'm uh, believe in the club or in this, this particular set? Uh, the club. Winning? The club. The club. Yeah, I'm very conflicted about it because I uh, I was even going doing some house cleaning and I posted some of the images on Twitter this morning of, of, of Tony Cotton, who was a goalkeeper for us for many years, and finding Gary James' book about uh, the club. Uh, similarly, I've had some great interactions with, with UK fans, uh, UK-based City fans in the last week who, who, who are also feeling conflicted but love the club, love the history of the club, as I do. So I don't think I can ever give that up. Uh, the, 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 the pre- uh, current era, the pre-takeover era, and, and what it was like to struggle with those guys, with the People's Clubs, uh, the People's Club of Manchester. And, and similarly, I appreciate the investment that the current ownership has put into the um, the, uh, the the women's uh, team and also into uh, helping to redevelop East Manchester, which Gary Neville has actually talked about quite extensively. Uh, but unfortunately, when I deal with city fans who are from the United States in particular and some city fans who are from Asia, uh, it's a completely different experience. And they, uh, they, 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 they kind of are spoiling the club for me. And they're the ones who decided right away to move on. 
uh, last last Tuesday. Well, uh, in fact, they probably didn't have to move on because they were before that defending close leagues and defending the breakaway. So uh, it's one of these things where I'm I'm continue to support the club, but I don't feel as strongly about it. I feel very conflicted. I felt very conflicted during the League Cup final because I'll be honest, I wanted Harry Kane to win a trophy. I want him very badly to win a trophy. Not so conflicted against PSG, honestly, because it's PSG, but um, might be conflicted against Thomas Tuchel and Chelsea in the final because I'm a Tuchelista. Now, I want ultimately City to win, but I'm not feeling the way I did before last, however however many days ago it was, 10 days ago, before they they signed up for this breakaway. I'm not feeling the same yet and probably won't for a long time. And again, I, I... I have to separate the reactions, and this is probably the case with every big club. The reactions of the fans in the UK uh, towards those clubs versus the reactions of the fans that are abroad, particularly in the United States. In fact, some of the defenses of strongest defenses of the Super League that I've seen have not been from MLS fans or uh, or fans of um, uh, of uh, American sports, but from uh, fans of Manchester City and and other clubs that were part of the breakaway in the United States, Real Madrid fans, Barcelona fans, American Real Madrid and Barcelona fans. So it's not just I. I maybe last week the mistake I made, Chris, is I, I I said, oh, it's all these people who like closed leagues in American sports. In fact, a lot of it is people who like the big clubs and think that they're entitled. That are American fans of the big clubs who think they're just entitled to be at the top. Yes. So, so this week has been an inter- interesting week because the, the, the topic of uh, club ownership has come up quite a bit. I mean, Arsenal, in terms of, I think, of the, uh, the Spotify co-founder or CEO, yeah, uh, yeah. putting trying to get get together a uh, kind of a takeover bid or trying to uh, say he's interested in taking over Arsenal. And I can picture in the future, in the near future, maybe it might be five years from now, it might be 10 years from now, but I can picture someone uh, taking that club over and, and Stan Kroenke cashing in. I can picture the Glazers at some point cashing in and saying, OK, hey, uh, we're going to make uh, several billion from this deal. Let's go ahead and cash in and sell the club to another owner. With Manchester City, though, Kartik, for me personally, the current ownership, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I wow. mean, in, in terms of the way that the the club is also ingrained into the city, in terms of the community development and everything that they've done for the city of Manchester, I can't foresee a time. It must happen. It it will happen at some point, right? You would think that somebody would take that over, but who would take it over? I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would be interested. I, I just don't see them letting go at any point in the future. They've already sold 20% of the club. Let's not forget that. So uh, the, uh, since uh, uh, it's uh, to Chinese investors. So that's uh, – I think they'll sell pieces of the club, but they'll never be below 50%, right, or never below 60 or 65%. But they're down to uh, – Abu Dhabi is down to 80% ownership in the club. So that's uh, – that, 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 that's something they might do is sell bits and pieces of the club, but they will never never sell the club outright. I think when you look at Chelsea, obviously the thing that would complicate their ownership is Roman Abramovich's um, uh, status and, and his ability to travel to the UK, etc. Otherwise, I don't think he would sell. And uh, Spurs, we could talk about separately, but the, I think the big conversation here now, Chris, is around the three... I think historically in, in, in English football, there are four huge clubs in English football historically. Everton, who aren't uh, haven't been as big of late, 
Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United. So Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United are all owned by Americans and all were apparently ringleaders in this breakaway, more so than Chelsea, Spurs, and, and uh, City. Man City. Right. Yeah. So this is, this is a, a, another angle I hadn't even thought about a week ago when everything was going on, that the three historic giants, the other three clubs aren't historically as big as those three. And as I said, I think there are four giant clubs historically in English football history, one of which is Everton, who's fallen off in the last 20 years or so. But the other three are all owned by Americans. So this thing is not going to go away anytime soon, this conversation of a closed league, this conversation of a Super League breakaway, and this conversation or this effort by fans to force those three club owners in particular to sell. I don't think what happens at Chelsea or Manchester City is as important. There is a movement at Spurs to try and get Joe Lewis and uh, and Daniel Levy, who, uh, by the way, uh, were probably the first uh, guys who, who, who played this game of investing in different football clubs and, 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 and messing about uh, and, and viewing things as a commodity. And obviously, they're both English. Uh, although, I have to say, uh, Chris, just as a personal matter, you almost moved to a, a place with your family that uh, the entire place was developed by Joe Lewis, right? The entire area. Uh, there's a, a community in Central Florida, which he developed, and he's very uh, tied into real estate and development in this state. Uh, the Joe Lewis, who is actually the owner of Spurs, they were the first group to invest in a number of football clubs across Europe, kind of what City Football Group is doing now around the world. Uh so I and Daniel Levy is a Spurs fan, lifetime Spurs fan. So I'm not sure if Lewis and Levy would sell, but there's there's growing pressure from some Spurs fans. But I don't think it's quite as intense as what we see with the other three clubs. And there will be constant pressure for those three clubs to sell. Real quickly on the Arsenal thing, uh, the analysis that I'm seeing is that uh, the, the the feeling is that the Spotify owner doesn't feel like he'll get it this time. Obviously, he's backed by Bergkamp. Uh, Thierry Henry and, and Patrick Vieira, but that every time that something happens with, with the Cronkies, Cronky family, that uh, he will be in the background, the Spotify owner whose name is escaping me, and uh, eventually maybe he will get the club. But he, he, he he's the analysis is he doesn't expect Cronky to, uh, to sell now. He's just putting himself in, in, the, uh, in the frame, so to speak, for the future. Yeah, the other interesting thing about this, Kartik, too, is that uh, for the longest time, for several years, and I believe he was Ukrainian, but uh, uh, Usmanov, uh, a billionaire, trying to uh, go ahead and take over Arsenal. In terms, It was a battle between Kronky and Uz- Usmanov for many, many years. And um, that money, ultimately, he failed to actually to get in on the shares that he wanted uh, to buy out from the other um shareholders in Arsenal, and he took his money elsewhere. Yeah, and Usmanov's uh, uh, longtime business partner, Moshiri, now owns Everton. And so Usmanov is behind the curtain at Everton, which, uh, according to some reports, is how Everton got Carlo Ancelotti and uh, how Everton has been able to afford, because Everton has spent a lot of money in the transfer market, right? They're not, they're not spending at top six level. Well, they kind of are spending at a top six level recently, right? They're, they would be towards the bottom of the yeah. top six. They're not it, spending like... Uh, inconsistently. Like, yeah, yeah. So Usmanov, uh, even though he's not an owner in, at Everton, has, has taken his money and some of his investment to a rival club. I also think it's pretty significant Everton uh, beat uh, beat Arsenal with Carlo Ancelotti a year ago and now have beaten them twice this season. So uh, that that's a little bit of ir- irony there. 
Yeah, anyone who hasn't uh, checked out uh, Everton's stadium plans yet for um, so they're leaving Goodison Park. They go into the the docks of Liverpool to Bramley Moor, and the the designs for that stadium it looks like world class. Really, really well done in terms yeah. of the architectural design of that. And and I think we will maybe maybe a few years from now we'll be having Everton in that conversation a lot more when we're talking about those big clubs uh, in England consistently uh, in terms of challenging for trophies or you mean kind of in that in that title race they're not there yet but they've got a good strong foundation fantastic history and um, and in many ways so Carter I think from the past week I mean this developing story which doesn't go away, the European Super League. I think Everton, the way they've uh, managed themselves, the, the, the things they've said, how outspoken they've been against the European Super League and how they've handled themselves is a perfect example of uh, the people, the people's club. Yeah, and they, they're holding true to their values as the people's club, which is why so many people have been attracted to Everton, even here in the United States through the years, is, is the, that history and that working class ethic they have. Uh, it was not lost upon someone I spoke to this week. I've spoken to so many people, Chris, but someone told me they thought Uzumanov, who you just mentioned, might have been uh, helping uh, to, uh, to, 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 to to push that statement out just to get get even with Kroenke, to get one over on Kroenke. Uh, so Everton took this really hard line. As I said, Us- Usmanov's not an owner at Everton, but he is behind the curtain a bit and has reportedly uh, been involved in, in, in some of the things they've done, transfer negotiations and, and uh, landing Carlo Ancelotti, among other things, being able to afford a manager of Ancelotti's stature. Uh, they're paying Ancelotti an awful lot of money, right? They're paying him the sort of money that, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich pay their managers, basically. All right, so let's switch gears for a minute just because we're going to dive into listener mailbag. <clears throat> and like I mentioned to you, the, you the listeners are taking over the show this week. Uh, we're going to segue first to mailbag, and I'm sure we're going to get into the uh, topic of the European Super League and, and last week's podcast, as well as uh, some, uh, some developments since last week. But first up from the listener mailbag is FTC United. And uh, it says, uh, do you think the news of NBC losing the rights to the NHL uh, now means that NBC is making a mistake with dropping NBCSN entirely by the end of the year? Obviously, the trend as of late has been to push more sports content to streaming. However, I feel at the very least the major U.S. sports leagues are balking against that idea and personally i think they are right and the soccer leagues are wrongfully being pushed to primarily online only deals i see the issue in real time with nwsl where cbs uh, sports network doesn't get nearly enough content on their network but more than enough is available on paramount plus and the future doesn't seem too great for cbs uh, sports network either and at least um, fs2 do I have this all wrong with the major sports networks or are there that many people investing into streaming media to make this worth it to to take the large majority of soccer off TV? So, Kartika, I, w- I want to get your opinion in a second. But uh, one, one stat that came out this week is that uh, a new report that came out that says 25 percent of all uh, viewing, you mean, we're watching entertainment, 25 percent of it now is, is streaming. So, so seventy five percent of the other seventy five percent is is still television, still is is a uh, a strong property, a strong uh, uh, medium or distribution method. 
25% of that um, is, is streaming. But Kartik, uh, FTC United brings up some good points here, uh, do you think? Yeah, I think I think uh, what what the uh, uh, big question is going forward is does the Premier League want guaranteed television windows in the United States? If uh, the continued gravitation of content towards Peacock is what NBC is uh, going to plan on for the next three to six years, whether it's a three-year deal or a six-year deal with the Premier League. The Premier League may look elsewhere in the United States now. Is anyone else going to give them those guaranteed broadcast windows? That that's the question. I think they want uh, they want certainly the early morning kickoff, uh, the the seven thirty a.m. Eastern time kickoff on Saturdays, twelve thirty uh, you know lunchtime kickoff in the UK back on television. It's on Peacock a lot, right? Uh, there's we, we've yep. even had some weeks. Have we had some weeks where the three p.m. traditional three p.m. UK kickoff, uh, ten a.m. Eastern time is 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 on Peacock. I think we have uh, where it's not on on uh, broadcast television. You, NBC might have to guarantee those games to be on USA Network uh, to uh, to satisfy uh, the Premier League, and then I think obviously the uh, the late Saturday kickoff is going to have to stay on NBC over the year to satisfy the Premier League. Because it, it, what 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 will be interesting is that. Uh, next season once normalcy re, uh, returns will we have these staggered kickoffs because I mean, that's exactly what the premier league wants they want to have rather than having six games at 10 a.m eastern on a saturday they want it to be staggered throughout the entire weekend as it is now as it has been for the last 12 months because of uh the, the covid you mean it'll be interesting to see because you mean the 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 groundwork has been has been laid for this. Um, will it return to what it was before? I don't think so on Saturdays because the Premier League had teased for a while that idea of a 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time, 8 p.m. local time kickoff in the UK, and that. Uh, People were complaining, media were complaining that you shouldn't be playing football at that time. They'd rather go to the pub, right, do things like that. And obviously, uh, traditionally, kickoffs in Italy and Spain, a lot of them are later like that in local time. But there were complaints the few times they had tried it. But they were work, looking at building that into the next TV rights cycle anyway, that late kickoff on Saturday. And, uh, and, and so... I think they now have gotten even the British public more accustomed to it, even though there were complaints about it when they started it. Once the pandemic hit and they had to stagger all the kickoffs, people got more used to it. On Sundays, uh, I don't know if that late kickoff will fly, but I do think they've now gotten used people used to the idea of playing two matches on Monday with staggered kickoffs yeah. and potentially playing more regularly on Fridays, which the Bundesliga does, right? And Liga A do. Mm -hmm. They play every Friday night. And, and, and when the Bundesliga moved their matches to Friday, it was actually a big hit on German television. Of course, then the, they tried to get a little greedy and, and, and move uh, matches to Monday night. And as we know, that did not go over well in Germany. So... Uh, uh, England has a little bit of a different attitude towards the Monday night thing. Now, will the Friday night thing become permanent? So if you think about it that way, Chris, you have four staggered kickoffs on Saturday. You have a, uh, a Friday. You have uh, three staggered uh, kickoffs already on Sunday. Then you're just about there. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you probably have uh, at that 3 p.m. kickoff on Saturday. Maybe you have uh, a, a, 
a second game or a third game, but that's it. You won't have five matches at one time. And uh, it depends on what you do on Monday. If you want to do two kickoffs, on, two staggered kickoffs on Monday, which admittedly I think might be tough post-pandemic, then they might be clear with the staggered thing completely. I do think the one time slot they lose is that late Sunday time slot that they forced some shoehorn some matches into right. during the pandemic. I, I, we've and also even seen that ratings performance, and I understand also in the UK, those have been the lowest rated matches. Yeah, and, and the other thing too about a late Sunday game um, in the UK is that we have to remember for those of us in the US and, and elsewhere is that transportation in the UK on a Sunday evening usually yes. isn't that good. So if you want to, if you're in Blackburn or wherever and you need to take the late train back to London, um, there might be only one one train, and if you miss that, you have to you know stay overnight until the next day. Uh, it's not like uh, the US where I mean the, the trains are running throughout the night every hour. Um, so that's a big big factor there. This is a big factor, actually. I, let me mention when Manchester City played Sunderland in the League Cup final it was on a Sunday, and I uh, kickoff was a was something like five thirty or, or four five o'clock, something like that, local time four thirty, uh, on a Sunday at Wembley. I can't remember what year that was. I want to see maybe it was twenty fourteen. Pellegrini was managing Manchester City, uh, Goose Poyer was managing Sunderland, but there were all kinds of complaints from both sets of supporters that they couldn't get back that night mm-hmm. because the kickoff had been later than uh, the typical Sunday Premier League match. And uh, they were, and those were two Northern teams and they were stuck. So yeah, yeah. I, I remember that actually even happening in a cup final, which uh, had kicked off later than maybe it normally would. And and the Blackburn example is actually a, a specific example uh, for me, 15 years ago, being in Blackburn to watch uh, Blackburn against uh, Spurs when they were both in the Premier League. And this was a, actually, actually I think it was a late Saturday night and uh, there was there was there weren't many trains even Saturday night going back to mm. London and everyone was on on the platform trying to catch that train in order to to to, to go south. One of the other things to FTC United uh, said about uh, do you think the news of NBC losing the rights to the NHL um, is a mistake based on NBC? It, it's because of NBCSN being dropped entirely. It, it came down to money in terms of what NBC was offering, which was roughly I think a hundred million. Uh, versus Turner Sports, which uh, more than doubled uh, the amount of money they were offering the NHL for the rights. So uh, losing losing NBCSN, I don't think, was the main factor. Although uh, FTC United, in terms of talking about how everything's moving to streaming for soccer, right? I mean, and and wrestling and other sports. In some ways, we are the the trendsetter. I think um, other sports will come along that way, but it might take a few more years. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think, I think we're going to get uh, more and more stuff, uh, Peacock perhaps, um, maybe trying to, I mean, obviously NBC is trying to renew the rights to the Premier League. We'll find out in a few months whether they get it for another three years. And I think a lot of those games will go on to Peacock and they'll put some on the USA, some on NBC. Um, but, uh, again, the, the Premier League is looking for money. To, in order to convince uh, the the Premier League clubs now more than ever, like, hey, look at what we're doing. We're bringing in all this money for you, uh, Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, etc. Um, look how much how we're helping you stay even stay with us. We don't want you to leave uh, the Premier League. 
Stefan says, uh, while I understand your basic points about uh, last week's podcast about the American Americanization of the European Super League, it wasn't the NFL or any other US league I thought of when the Super League was announced. It was basketball's EuroLeague that I thought of, which is made up of 11 quasi-permanent members and seven invites who are really just there to make up the numbers. I don't think it's any coincidence that Perez and Agnelli, who uh, have long championed a Super League, are from the two most successful countries in the EuroLeague and may explain why supporters from those countries were nowhere near as vocal against the Super League as English and German supporters were. It's a format they are already using uh, uh, for their second most popular sport. I agree it's hypocritical for those who defend the MLS system to speak out against the Super League, but I would also say it's hypocritical if supporters of Fenerbahce, uh, Olympiacos, were against it, while their club's basketball teams benefit year in and year out under the same system. So, Kartik, uh, I have no, uh, I, no, I, I, no knowledge of the uh, the Euro League in basketball. So that's a whole new thing for me. So, but it's a good point. And uh, so, you know, we were talking about the NFL kind of being the the model that a lot of these European clubs were looking at. Uh, but maybe it was it was much closer to home than, than we thought. Yeah, and actually, we, there's a prominent journalist uh, that contacted me after our podcast last week and said uh, that that the NBA was actually what Agnelli was looking at because Agnelli is a big basketball fan, and obviously, uh, as Stefan points out, Ital- Italian teams have been very successful. Uh, in fact, when I think of basketball in Europe, I think more of Italy than any other country. Uh, but uh, uh, certainly, and and honestly, uh, the Italian. Uh, for years, Italy has been kind of a, a, a place where some of the big college basketball stars who, who maybe their games are a little different different, and they don't fit into the NBA stylistically have gone. So uh, it just it, my perception is Italy has always been very good basketball-wise. Um, now, in terms of, uh, of, of, of Perez, it, it probably also was an influence, right? And when we know Real Madrid has, a, has their own uh, basketball uh, team. And, and same thing, a good point about Galatasaray. Uh, Fenerbahce and uh, and Olympiacos that those cl- uh, cl- uh, clubs basketball teams have benefited from uh, the Euro League Euro Close League. However, I'm not sure most of those supporters of the bas- of uh, the football club are into the basketball team. I'm not sure the majority of them are. So that's uh, that's another thing. They may not even be aware that their basketball uh, team plays in a closed league, right? And I think mm-hmm. it's just like. Uh, here, it, it, I was going to say here in England, we're not in England, obviously, we're in the U.S., but there are so many English supporters of big clubs that when I try and talk to them about their women's teams, they're wholly unaware that their team even has women's teams or they're not they're not aware of, uh, of how well they're doing or how, uh, in the case of Liverpool, they're, <laughs> no, they're not, that there's no I- I interest in the women's, uh, on the women's side from, from both Liverpool supporters and Liverpool's ownership. But it, it, that reminds me of it, that yes, these clubs on the continent have basketball teams also, but a lot of their supporters are probably unaware of the setup in basketball, just like a lot of English uh, football supporters are unaware of the commitment Manchester City, Arsenal, Manchester, uh, uh, Chelsea, and more recently Manchester United have made to the women's game. What I thought was interesting, Kartik, in the last week or so was the the number of MLS journalists who were practically almost silent about the European Super League. 
Uh, it was almost as if this was some uh, strange foreign concept that that was happening on planet Mars. That uh, they, they seem to not even. I mean, so when when the news broke in terms of the European Super League, and they were like, you mean, yeah, I'm for it. Most of them were, were against it. But then a couple of days later, in preparation for you mean another weekend of MLS games. Uh, and there was discussion and talk about um, the American angle in terms of the influence that they've had, and, and definitely wasn't uh, the only influence. There was, you mean, uh, Florentino uh, uh, Perez in terms of the the Real Madrid uh, president's kind of been real, uh, one of the major re- uh, ringleaders in all of this. But I, I just thought it was just uh, hypocritical of a lot of MLS journalists just to be like kind of radio silence on on the whole topic of the European Super League and just in a comparison to Major League Soccer. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of them uh, had kind of agenda-based narratives to try and say, well, Perez isn't American and he's the inspiration behind it and Agnelli's not American and he's the, uh, the other inspiration behind it. The reality is you had American owners, you had American bankers, you had American chief executives, and you had American ideas behind this. So I think fair is fair. Now, at the same time, I will concede, Chris, since we recorded that podcast last week, I've watched a lot of Sky Sports. And Sky Sports is banging on still a week later about the American angle. And it is a bit over the top. I mean, they're clearly there's some red meat they're throwing to uh, that's an American term, but red meat to their to 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 the Sky Sports viewers uh, to where now they focused in on uh, on American uh, chief executive at uh, at Chelsea, Bruce Bach. They focused in on as I had actually early on too. in fairness that Levy and uh, and and Lewis are very Americanized in the way they do most of their time in the U.S. But but but, Um, but 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 Sky Sports is so insular in terms of just their coverage. You mean they're, they're yeah. not talking a lot about the Bundesliga? I mean, they, they'll mention it. Oh, they know that they're not. They're you mean not. so it's, right. it's so Premier League focused that anything to do with Premier League? You mean they're, they're all over it. So so the American angle seems kind of natural for them. You mean not 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 to defend them, but it would be good to have more of a debate about the the Italian influence and the Spanish influence. But I think for most of their um, for them. I don't think they have the rights. Actually, maybe they have the rights to some of the the La Liga games, but but you mean the the rights are are the Premier League, and and that's the main talking point. I think in many ways it always has been really for Sky Sports. Yeah, and and I think uh, remember they have uh, they, they they have Sky Germany, so they're able to talk uh, uh, a little bit about the Bundesliga with with some of their Sky uh, Germany colleagues who, who speak English, and uh, and people in Germany tend to speak English. Over half the population speaks English as a second language, but uh, Spain nothing. So uh, they they uh, they they tend to be very insular, even if they do have some La Liga rights, which I don't know if they still do. Uh, they. Uh, they they're very uh, they they don't talk about it at all. They actually do talk about the Bundesliga more than they talk about La Liga. Now that you mention it, and it's because they have guys they can talk to in Germany that speak English, right? And, and work for Sky. Next up is Chuck. Chuck says, "I have listened and looked for years. I never thought I would say this, but I am beginning to think my interest in soccer is waning due to too much football being available on TV uh, through broadcast, streaming, and other OTT services." Your schedule schedule for available games um, last week, a normal Wednesday, shows 40 games available if you have the correct services. One can start at 9 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time and uh, with the Russian Cup and watch continuously until midnight with a Copa Libertadores match. And this is a day without the usual 3 a.m. games from Asia and Australia. 
There are games from 13 different countries, leagues, competitions, and even genders. I find with so many games to choose from, no single match seems important. I can always catch another one or, or 20 tomorrow. I wonder if I'm the only one feeling this way. Thanks for the indispensable calendar and the great listen. Yeah, and, and Chuck, I, th- I think in many ways, I think... Um, I mean, this is something, too, that that we feel, um, I feel definitely, is sometimes overwhelmed, where it's like, oh, my gosh, there are so many games on. I have to pick and choose. And and oftentimes, too, um, I think it, having access to the games is fantastic. And it's just it's just picking and choosing what you want to see. And I, I, th- I think our viewing experience has changed, where, say, 10 years ago, we probably would have watched almost every game available in English language that was available to us uh, on, a, on a given weekend or a given day. Uh, now it's impossible to do that. So I think it can be overwhelming. Actually, on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com, uh, we've changed it slightly where it used to be uh, you'd, ha- you'd see two, di- two, games, uh, two, two days of coverage, today and tomorrow. Uh, and then you log in tomorrow and then it's today and tomorrow. Uh, and we actually reduced that just to make it so it's not so overwhelming, where you can see today's games, and then you have the, the links on the sidebar to all of the, the different leagues for the really detailed schedules. But um, what about you, Kartik? Has, uh Do you feel overwhelmed sometimes or or, uh, or not? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the sheer amount of uh, uh, games that are available has me feeling like I need to be constantly keeping tabs on other leagues and on other, on other games at the Argentine league. Now I, I've, I've sampled a fair amount. I uh, also have had a little bit of an interest in it. I have to admit that uh, the league, uh, the, the, the amateur league I manage here in, in Florida, uh, that, uh, that league, uh, we're using some of the same commentators for our broadcast that uh, CVS uh, Paramount plus are using for, uh, for Argentine games, including tonight. Uh, we, we have a match and, and that's a commentator that, that regularly does uh, matches on, on Paramount plus, but that, that, the Dutch League now being available. I used to watch back in the ESPN 360 days. Remember way back when? Wow. Uh, some Portuguese, Portuguese League games, because that was the first league, if I remember correctly, that was actually available on ESPN 360, uh, was, uh, w- was the Portuguese League. But yeah, now I'm feeling uh, completely overwhelmed, which is why I think uh, I burn out at some point during the week and, and, and stop and don't watch football uh, sometimes on Wednesdays and Thursdays, which might explain why I watch less Europa league than other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not a slight against the competition. It's, 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 and I, I just, you get burnt out because the other thing, Chris is I think for a lot of premier league fans and maybe now they're understanding what burnout feels like as the staggered kickoffs uh, for a lot of premier league fans, they don't realize that, uh, most of us who aren't Premier League, who aren't just Premier League fans, end up having to watch something on Friday because uh, Liga, uh, uh, oftentimes La Liga, and always the Bundesliga is playing. And usually, it's a big Bundesliga match that's moved to Friday night. Uh, that that's played on Friday night, and then there are always uh, uh, these random kind of uh, uh, Serie A matches that have been the last few years. Their schedules have become much more staggered, and they've had some games on Mondays and games on on Fridays, etc. So, yeah, burnout's a real thing. Yeah, the casualty of this, though, too, I think in some ways is Major League Soccer because you get up in the morning, I mean, maybe it's a work day, maybe it's, say, a weekend, and you start, you watch, maybe you watch the early game, you watch the mid-morning game, you watch the uh, mid-afternoon game, 
And then by the time, like, say, 5 o'clock or 7 o'clock or 9 o'clock Eastern time rolls around, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's more games. There's, there's, there's two MLS games and maybe there's a Liga MX game later that night. And, and I'm sure that the Liga MX crowd that's watching games maybe starts their watching maybe mid-afternoon to evening and, and then go th- goes through the night. But oftentimes, I think for MLS, they get stuck where, where it is mostly English language uh, viewers. And many of them do get burnt out. I mean, this week I, I stayed up uh, and watched um, Atlanta against Philadelphia in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, made it through that game. And it was a really entertaining game, really uh, full-blooded uh, in more ways than one. But by the time that uh, Toronto against Cruz Azul was on at uh, 10 p.m. after watching a whole day of soccer, I was like, okay, I'm done. I, it's East Coast. Uh, I have to get up early in the next the next day. Um, I'll miss I'll miss that. So so it does have an impact. It, it, yeah. And what I would say, Chuck and, and other listeners, is just uh, pace yourself. Set priorities. Figure out what you do want to watch, and uh, just enjoy it. But don't, but don't uh, indulge too much because you, you can feel uh, overwhelmed. All right, Kartik, get ready. There's a big one here. Dave Roberts says, "I am baffled, confused, and disappointed in the level of vitriol and negative response to the Super League. All of these so-called soccer fans being against it is mind-boggling. You have the gall to call this the Americanization of soccer." When really what is literally saving the game, it, it, it is li- literally saving the game. When I heard that UEFA was going to bar these Super League teams from all other competitions, I was literally jumping for joy. How could anyone possibly think that bar- barring these teams from their respective domestic leagues is a bad thing? I'm 100% serious. I think uh, either the boneless... Uh, showed more respect to medieval uh, England when he invaded the country with the great heathen army than the way that these rich teams treat their own domestic competitions. The English clubs that signed on turned watching the Premier League into a chore and Serie A, blah, no thanks. But if these teams were actually barred, now we're talking. Now these games will actually be interesting. But let's really talk about why so many people are against the Super League. It's because these teams already have too much leeway already, and their only qualifications for Champions League is to name one Beatles song and provide proof that uh, Freddie Mercury ever sang for Queen. Hopefully, UEFA <laughs> will break up the rich club oligarchy in the game and redistribute the wealth properly. A boy can dream, can't he? Yeah, there are some people who have said, in hindsight, maybe we should have just let these teams go. And then we could properly, uh, properly reform football with who's left. Uh, there's been a few people who've said that to me the last week. Uh, maybe we should have just let them go. We could have ignored their competition. We could have ostracized them. Those players could have been kicked out uh, of, of international competitions because they couldn't register with FIFA for, based, based on the threat. And then we could have fixed things. So there are actually people who think that. I, I don't think yeah. it's very common. I don't think it's very widespread. But there are a few people who say, look, the thing is broken already. The only way to, 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 to unbreak it, to put Humpty Dumpty back together, so to speak, is to let those rich clubs go. Let them do their own thing, Smash and then everybody will be on a more equal uh, playing field. Yeah, yeah, and in many ways, though, too. I mean, it's um, it could work. It's never going to work because you look at the Premier League as one example, and you look at the other 14 clubs. So not the big six, but the other 14. If the other 14 said, okay, we'll go it alone, screw you, uh, big six, 
Uh, imagine the value of what that Premier League TV contract is. It goes from the billions to maybe the hundreds of millions. And and sure, I love clubs like Everton and Leeds United and uh, uh, West, West Bromwich Albion, Watford. I mean, all, all the history, all the tradition, all of that uh, respect I have for those clubs. But they don't have the fan bases. I mean, look, you, in the US, you look at the other 14 and you, I mean, other than Everton and, and maybe Fulham to a smaller extent, there isn't a large fan base. So the, those TV ratings are not going to be as high. Uh, it's not going to generate as much advertising revenue for those uh, broadcasters, for the NBC Sports of the world. So the value of those rights are going to be so far. And, and, and that's just the, the Premier League, so much smaller. And then you look at uh, Serie A, you look at, um, you mean, the... Uh, the other, the other leagues around the world, you look at La Liga. Imagine La Liga without uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid. What would that value be? So, Bill, yeah, I agree with you. Um, actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was, um, it was Dave. Dave, I agree with you. I just don't see that it's going to happen, unfortunately. But uh, as, as Dave says, a boy can dream, can't he? <laughs> and maybe at some point in the future, maybe that does happen. You mean where it is Celtic and Rangers say, hey, thanks, uh, Scottish uh, Professional Football League, and it's been a great experience, but we are now joining joining a, uh, a world league where it's uh, the two clubs, top clubs from Scotland, we've got some clubs from England and uh, other countries around the world, and, and FIFA organizes this world league that there's effectively a super league, uh, something that FIFA can uh, control, uh, they can sell, they can position, they can approve, and that that I can see happening. I can I can see that happening within ten years. Bill Reese says, when discussing the Americanization of European soccer and the several nations that don't adhere to FIFA's rules, primarily in promotion and relegation, Kartik conveniently forgot to mention Mexico, who suspended Pro Rel several years ago and likely will never bring it back to Liga MX. Professional soccer in Mexico is hardly different from pro sports in America. Clubs are owned by billionaires and tycoons. Clubs routinely move from city to city. When Pro Rel still existed, it was a mockery because the relegated club could purchase the license or the playing license of a promoted club and stay in the league regardless of merit. Players can be drafted before the start of every season, often transferring between clubs that have the same ownership. And yet this is by far the most popular soccer league in the United States. No soccer fan would claim that Mexico is not one of the world's most passionate soccer nations. No one would claim that Mexican clubs were not institutions, though they're often more national and cultural institutions from local or civic institutions. The absence of pro rel and the constant folding of clubs might be holding back the United States, but it's certainly not holding back Mexico, who I think might be an early favorite to win the 2026 World Cup on home soil, in, in uh, quotation marks. The world is not one size fits all. That's true for everything, including football. Yeah, so I agree with a lot of that from Bill. Thank you. Uh, I and I've seen Mexican clubs move. Necaxa moved. Uh, I I always considered them a big club and was shocked when they moved. Uh, Atalante moved uh, to to Cancun, and and uh, we've seen 
lots of clubs move. We've seen, as he mentioned, relegated clubs by the licenses of promoted clubs. The club, the, the league has been very Americanized for years, uh, actually probably more Americanized. It was Americanized before MLS was, was fully Americanized in, in many ways with, with its sponsors and its format, its playoffs, its transfer rules, and, and mentioned the draft rules. I, I also think that these, uh, this formula works in Mexico and among Americans. That's why it's so popular in the United States, as you mentioned. However, I think Liga Mekis, and this is a conversation I had with someone at CONCACAF very recently, Liga Mekis has underfulfilled its potential globally outside of the United States and Mexico because of its peculiarities, which are really kind of Americanism. Also, American sponsors. Actually, the sponsorship dollars from American companies that have gone into Liga Mekis until recently was greater than sponsorship dollars into Major League Soccer. And the clubs right across the border were, were some of the biggest recipients of this. Uh, but the peculiarities of Liga Emekis has damaged it from a commercial standpoint uh, globally, uh, I, I would argue, and some yeah. other people would argue. Now, uh, the other thing I, I, I would say is, yeah, I believe that football is, is a big sport and there should be indigenous forms of the sport. There should be uh, differences in, in, in countries. Uh, I, I do think that that's certainly fair. We do not. And this is what I say to the pro-rel advocates. This is why a lot of the pro-rel advocates, believe it or not, some people who may be angry at us may not believe that a lot of pro-rel advocates. I have more people blocked on Twitter uh, by me and toward me that are pro-rel advocates than anything else. In fact, 90% of the people who block me on Twitter are pro-rel advocates because they believe that you just copy the system from England and bring it to the United States. And I've said, no, this country is different. We have greater travel considerations. We have different climate. We have different culture. So I want an open system, but it doesn't have to be formed right along the British lines. You have to do all sorts of things that will make it uh, – I, I even believe in maybe even splitting it, splitting the country geographically and having uh, multiple uh, multiple leagues at, at the lower division level. But this is this is not important now. The point is, I agree with you, Bill. Everything does not need to be the same everywhere. But what I would argue is that Liga Mekis has undercapitalized its potential because of its peculiarities, much like Major League Soccer has uh, outside the United States, and that uh, there are. Uh, in terms of the, the the growing audience for football in the United States, more and more people who are gravitating to the European game because of of, of the way it's structured. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I I agree with some of this, and also I want one other thing that does link Liga Mekis to the Super League uh, project. I believe the impetus for finally closing off promotion and relegation in Mexico was because Atletico Madrid's owners bought a club in Mexico and they didn't want that team. The other Liga Emeki's owners of the big clubs that also control the federation in that country did not want Atleti's team uh, coming into the first division, into the Primera division and being able to spend uh, the kind of money they do in Europe and, and, and potentially knocking them off. So I actually think there was a link to the Super League story that one of the Super League clubs had bought a club in Mexico and that's when the established Mexican uh, clubs, uh, some of which are owned by television partners, uh, you know, media companies said, OK, we don't want uh, these Chinese owners of Atletico Madrid dominating our league. So let's 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 effectively prevent them from uh, the, the license of the club they bought, preventing that club from being promoted. So Liga MX is uh, huge in Mexico. Liga MX is big in the United States. It's the, the most watched uh, soccer league, uh, no, no matter what language in the United States. But it's not because of 
the way that the league is is um, is actually structured. I mean, the reason why Liga MX gets the highest ratings in the United States is not based on on quality or any or, or anything. It's based on the large Mexican American population or descendants of Mexican Americans in the United States, and and that's why. Um, you mean channels such as Univision and, and uh, Telemundo gets really, really high ratings is because of that Mexican-American population. Now, it's a good league to watch. It's a fun league to watch. It's got great atmosphere, um, just as Major League Soccer is a good league to watch. It's, it's, a, it's a fun atmosphere. It's one of the, the probably the, the best games I saw this past weekend was LA Galaxy against New York Red Bulls. In itself, it's a fun experience. But long term, in terms of the way that the leagues are structured, um, I prefer, and I know Kartik prefers, an open system. And, and you have to wonder, like, why is it that um, on the English language side, why is it that like, the leagues from um, England and, and Germany and Spain, uh, why do Americans fall in love with that more so than falling in love with League MX? I'm sure there's, there's there's more Americans that watch um, the the European leagues or leagues from uh, you know, La Liga, whatever leagues it might be. Uh, it's a lot of it is because of, of the romanticism about promotion relegation, the romanticism of a Leicester City that can go from you mean kind of the third tier and make their way up uh, to the top tiers, Man City going from the third tier, making their way up, and so on and so forth. So. There's there's a beauty to that. There is a, um, a sporting merit about that that feels more well. Actually, to me, it feels natural. But to I think I'm sure to a lot of Americans, it feels pretty cool. It it, it seems kind of wow. That's different than what we're used to with the, the way that the American sports are set up, and the American sports are set up in a very similar way to the way it's set up in Mexico. Uh, it's different. It's more exciting in terms of the playoff structure. Uh, that I like in terms of, and that's something that Major League Soccer should be doing, I think. But um, but to, I, I don't think that, uh, like you say, Kartik, if you go anywhere else around the world, uh, ask them about Liga MX, ask them about uh, their favorite Liga MX team. And it's, I mean, you can travel the world, you can go to Africa, you can go into, you know, in, uh, any country around the world, and you will see fans wearing you know, Manchester United shirts, Barcelona shirts, Real Madrid shirts, you name it, you're not going to see a lot of Liga MX shirts. Yeah, and, and also I think it's even also really bad uh, and unfortunate for the players who play there. In Brazil and Argentina, there are not many people watching that league, even uh, the, the people uh, who are in charge of the national teams in those countries. And there have been lots of good Argentine and Brazilian players who have played at a high level in Liga Amekis and been completely ignored by their national federations. Now, maybe that's a cultural thing. But um, I've, I've talked to South Americans asking them if they watch Liga Mekis and they laugh at me. And they, and they have this presumed uh, presumption about the league that it's inferior, which I don't think it is. I think it's as good as any of the leagues in South America. That's maybe my biased opinion because I watch more of it. But uh, that is a failure of the league to market itself properly, mm-hmm. even to people who speak the same language in, other, in another part of the globe. Nick says, I think domestic leagues, FIFA and UEFA, have no choice but to ban these teams and players from their competitions to the extent that they can uh, legally do so. 
this is a fight for survival at this point. I think it's obvious what the plan is here. Stay in domestic leagues for now as a hedge and for additional revenue. If the Super League is successful, then abandon domestic leagues and officially relegate them to minor league status. They expand the Super League format to be 40 to 60 games a year, emulating the US leagues. Then they go full franchise mode and expand into new cities and or possibly relocate teams. Manchester doesn't need two teams in a franchise system, for example, possibly even going to North America and Asia. Finally, the, money, the power grab will be complete when they organize their own international competitions and split completely from FIFA and UEFA. Of course, qualification for these competitions won't be fully merit-based. It will be by invitation only, and the biggest markets will get free passes, which will fully kill uh, meritocracy in the international game as well. This is the full US-style league playbook. The NHL prevented its players from playing in the Olympics and organized its own international competition instead, where they choose which countries were represented. Major League Baseball organizes the World Baseball Classic instead of competing in an internationally organized event. I believe NBA players compete in the Olympics, but not in anything uh, FIBA sanctioned. This isn't meant to paint these organizations as innocent victims, but we're in this unfortunate situation where we now have to rely on UEFA and FIFA to prevent this from succeeding. The current line that this is only going to replace the Champions League and nothing more is very naive. They want to be the NFL, NBA, Formula One. This power money grab will not end here. If this isn't fought 100%, all clubs and international soccer, uh, as we know it, is dead. And and that's part of the reason, too, that um, I, know, I know World Soccer Talk came out I mean, very heavily against the European Super League um, from the get-go in terms of uh, making sure that uh, our followers and listeners, and many of you disagree with us, which is fine. That, that's no problem with that. But we wanted to make sure that the, our, we stated our case, which is completely against the idea, uh, which is completely against the reasons that we fo- fell in love with this game. Um, and um, some good feedback there from Nick as far as some of the uh, the possibilities of where this is heading. And I, and I completely agree with uh, Nick as far as uh, the playbook there. Yeah, uh, that's a, that is the playbook, Nick. You're spot on. That is the, the 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 long-term goal for these clubs was to separate from uh, their domestic leagues, invite more teams, and close off the competition, and 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 uh, have a. a, a Major League Baseball, uh, NBA-style competition, uh, Formula One-style competition, as you mentioned. The only recourse FIFA and UEFA have is to ban players, right? That's really the ultimate thing they've got because money – I know this is all about control and money and and, and if FIFA throws more money or UEFA throws more money or FIFA can be bought off, uh, there's all that speculation. But the the real weapon FIFA and UEFA have is to, to prevent these players from being registered in the FIFA system, which would then ban them from international competition and ban them from international transfers. In fact, uh, they could be signed theoretically, uh, although there would be a legal contract, right, with the breakaway team then the legal con- the bre- in the jurisdiction where the breakaway team plays, if it's in the EU or the UK, wherever, I guess they could sue a club that signed their player uh, uh, under a f- uh, in a FIFA league. They could sue them. But in theory, the players could all move at least – 
in, in football terms, on a free to another club, uh, to a club in a FIFA-sanctioned league. Let's say uh, West Ham wants to sign a guy that's uh, on a, uh, in the breakaway league that's playing for Juventus. In theory, Juventus would not, uh, what Juventus not, would not be owed a transfer fee. West Ham could just sign that player if FIFA and UEFA exercise their option uh, to, uh, to, to, to do what you suggested, Nick. And that would be, I think, the strongest recourse and maybe the only recourse they have when these guys come back again. Because when they come back again, Chris, we know their PR isn't going to be as bad, right? They fumbled this completely and they, they, they embarrassed themselves. We know they're going to do a better job of PR, mm-hmm. a better job of presenting themselves. And maybe they, 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 they have now... Uh, they did such a poor job uh, on uh, th- th- this first attempt that the expectation is so low that when they come back, there'll be people who were against it this time saying, oh, you know, maybe it's not so bad. They've made changes. So that's the danger. Don't think this is going away. This is going to come back. And what Nick la- lays out is their plan, uh, in my opinion, period. Yeah, completely. Long term, that's what they want. Completely, completely, and and getting rid of uh, promotion relegation and and just being invitation only and picking and choosing uh, which clubs and which cities would be involved in this and uh, and and sharing the money and that and that was something that came up uh, on Tuesday's uh, Champions League pregame show on CBS Sports, and it's something that um, I, I I didn't agree with. I mean, so Nico Cantor. Uh, before the the actual game started, uh, Kay Abdo went to him and said, "Hey, uh, Nico, what's the American perspective on the European Super League?" And and Nico came f- flat out and said, "I mean, it, it's enticing for Americans, it's exciting for Mary, many Americans." And Nico said, "As a hardcore soccer fan, it's a hard no. I'm I'm against it." Um, but he explained the reasons why uh, Americans uh, are interested in it. My my take on it is that. Other than Alexi Lalas, I have found very, very few Americans. Oh, yes, yes. I mean, there's many soccer fans that are were, were uh, for it, but I, for me personally, I did not see that. So, in terms of, it's hard to gauge, right? I mean, because it's one of those things like, hey, would you be interested? We did a, many, many polls on World Soccer Talk to ask people on on Twitter, uh, what's your feeling about the European Super League? Are you for it? Or are you against it? Uh, you mean and and categorically i mean everyone was against it i think it was about 87 percent of it was was of our followers were completely against the idea and it was a small portion that was i think maybe like five percent that was for it and then oh, no, actually no five percent was undecided and, and i think there was like i don't know ten percent or something like that that uh, was for it but uh but that was something that was uh, uh interesting just kind of that discussion with with nico canto through social media uh the other thing about this, though, too, I mean, to me, like, if you look at Major League Soccer as one example, would MLS benefit from promotion relegation? Now, now, don't don't uh, think about like how it would happen, or you mean, but would the league be better because of promotion relegation? And and the same thing with Liga MX. Same thing with with uh, some of these other leagues that uh, don't have pro rallies, such as you mean the A League, etc those leagues would be better because there is an opportunity for smaller clubs to rise uh, for clubs to go down to clubs that just mail it in that uh, basically are not playing that well. It's a poor, poorly run team. And um, I mean, a team that could bounce back into that top league uh, when they're kind of playing better and, and structured better. But at the end of the day, I still feel that a lot of these leagues 
uh, that don't have promotion relegation, there's a reason for that. It's a business reason. It's not a sporting merit reason. It's a, okay, we've got, you guys are in, you guys are paying the millions, hundreds of millions, and everyone else, you're out. Chris says, hi, guys. When it comes to the European Super League, I am... In total agreement with you guys, and I think both of you made some excellent points about the negative impacts it would have. To add to your points, the Super League also would have done serious harm to the women's club game in Europe because there were plans to, to create a European Women's Super League to run alongside the men's league with the women's teams of the 12 original members. Uh, and like the men's version, it would have not included the current best team in Europe, Lyon. I heard Kartik briefly talk about uh, this during the pod, about the possibility of what I term the North American Super League with Liga MX and MLS. In my view, the North American Super League is more likely to happen than the European one, although there will be backlash, especially among the supporters of Liga MX clubs. There will even be this backlash among MLS supporters, particularly among the more established clubs like Seattle. Uh as in Europe, a North American Super League would be tremendous harm to the club game here in the U.S. because not only are, uh, the expansion fee would go up for the club, any club uh, currently in the USL that wanted to join, but also once in, there is no guarantee that club would stick around in that city or exist due to business interests. Once the club goes away, interest in soccer in certain areas of the country may go away entirely because there are, there are other pro sports. For this reason, I hope a North American Super League does not happen. Lastly, I have a question for you about promotion relegation as it relates to MLS and USL. My question is, do you see MLS and USL ever adopting it? So, no, I, I don't see that ever happening. Um, I don't see uh, promotion relegation ever happening in MLS. Uh, that's not in their business business interests. If N- if the NFL overnight uh, adds promotion relegation, then MLS will. And as long as NFL doesn't add promotion relegation, which they never will, uh, nor will MLS uh, either. But Kartik, the, the question about the North American Super League, I mean, th- this is already in the works, really. You've got the uh, Liga MX president and uh, the commissioner of Major League Soccer have been in talks for many, many years about working more closely together. You've got the Campiones Cup that was supposed to uh, be played last year. This, I mean, th- this is already in the works, and this I, I can see this happening. Leagues Cup. Leagues, Cup's Leagues Cup, that's right. That's the other yeah. one. Yeah, the Leagues Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so, so many collaborations. I think, I mean, you could take, say, I don't know, the top five or six teams from uh, League MX and take the top five or six teams from MLS and have them play in a, in a Super League, uh, maybe during the off-season or whenever it is. But that's going to happen, guaranteed, right? And, and, and CONCACAF has, has allowed that to happen, and FIFA has allowed that to happen. So this comes back to the question we raised last week. I raised in my article, and then... Uh, Brilliantly, Seb Salazar and uh, Herc Gomez discussed on Football Americas on ESPN Plus. If, you, if you're not uh, uh, seeing that show, it's on ESPN Plus, and it's it's quite good every week. I recommend it every week. Uh, but uh, they 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 discuss this issue, which is that uh, 
there are rules there's rule breaking going on in North America already. Now I would go a step further as I said in my article and say that if I'm one of these owners of these Super League clubs or potential Super League clubs, I saw FIFA uh, encouraging this. I see CONCACAF approving League's Cup and Campeones Cup and these competitions that don't include the rest of CONCACAF. And then Gianni Infantino praising the African Super League and praising the idea of Liga Mekis and, and MLS getting together and doing something on their own and having a Super League. If I'm in Europe, I'm going to say, if I'm Florentino Perez, hey, you're letting uh, uh, them do it in North America. Why not us here? So I think the precedent that's being set by this is terrible. You either respect national boundaries and domestic leagues universally or you don't. And I, I think that there's a uh, there's a real threat to the global game coming out of North America that a lot of people in Europe aren't aware of. I don't think people in Europe are aware of the the African nation, the African champ, uh, Super League, or the potential North American Super League, and the damage uh, it could do in terms of precedence to stopping something like this in Europe from happening. And uh, I, I've said it for years that uh, I, I thought it's quite odd that uh, Concacaf has has allowed. When they have their own competition, the CONCACAF Champions League, uh, that I know is going on right now, and Chris, you and I both watched uh, some of it uh, the last few days. Uh, we didn't do the, what we watched this week, but, but we both watched some CONCACAF Champions League. That Why is that? Uh, that is potentially getting devalued because of these other competitions that are taking place without the rest of CONCACAF and just right. involving uh, three nations, yeah, like Mexico, U.S., and Canada. So that, that's, that's, to me, a, a major threat. Yeah, it's a regional threat between CONCACAF and then Liga MX and MLS working together. I mean, really, there are, I mean, what that Liga MX-MLS partnership will be is going to be very directly uh, competitive against the CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, the CONCACAF Champions League right now in this stage of the tournament is Liga MX clubs against MLS clubs in the latter stages of that tournament. So so CONCACAF is difficult because they've got, um, I mean, not the Central American countries, but uh, the, um, I'm sorry, the, um, the Caribbean countries too, that they have to make sure that uh, they, they kind of focus on also. But I think it's... Um, just as Liga MX and MLS are probably testing these different leagues and tournaments, it gives them leverage against CONCACAF to say, hey, like, hey, we can go along. We don't even need you. We can have the Super League by ourselves. And I'm sure CONCACAF is probably thinking, okay, hey, we can do a Super League too, but uh, let's try and bring in some of these teams from from the Caribbean, from I mean, Jamaica and other countries, and let's make it truly a Super League, which... Um, Liga MX and MLS might say, eh, we're not really, we don't think those, that's going to generate a lot of TV revenue. Going back to TV revenue for a second, though, the other 14 we, we talked about a few minutes ago about, uh, you mean, what would happen if, um, if Dave Roberts uh, kind of uh, pressed press the trigger and all of a sudden all those teams that were going into the European Super League were banned from their domestic leagues? It does make the Premier League more competitive. It, it does make the Premier League more watchable, arguably, where they have the other 14. If you've got West Ham United against Everton competing, trying to win that trophy. Um, from a sporting point of view, it would be very watchable. But from a monetary point of view, I just don't think that would be that many people um, watching it. And, and maybe that's okay. Maybe th there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe it is what it is. And if you want to watch the um, the Premier League, 
Uh, you subscribe to whichever streaming service has it, and you can have access to those games. And if you want to watch uh, the big six play against uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona every other week, uh, you can watch that too as a completely different tournament and a completely completely different uh, streaming service that would have that. So, um, yeah, I, I, I see it heading that way, Kartik. It just, it's... Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 does, it, does, it does seem inevitable. Brian says, gents, very good podcast as always. Excellent points all around to play devil's advocate. I think a European Super League is, is going to happen at some point. The clubs in question have grown to be global brands and have outgrown their hometown supporter base. For example, there are more worldwide fans of Manchester United than there are in all of the United Kingdom. Also, there is too much money on the table for the owners of these clubs to turn down. As a result of this, I think a closed league with 20 clubs is going to happen. It will be the largest clubs and brands from all across Europe. Uh, The clubs will uh, withdraw from their domestic competitions and just play each other during the year. And like the American professional leagues, they will keep all the money for themselves. There will probably be spending limits on salary, revenue sharing, and other measures to keep the owners from bankrupting themselves. Um, And the middle ground is the status quo. And that doesn't seem to be working on the financial side for the large clubs. It does seem it does seem inevitable that that would ha- happen, Kartik, and it, and it is it is true in terms of uh, the clubs have gotten greedy. I mean, they have uh, supporter bases that are much larger than the population of the cities that they're from, and and maybe they're they're, they're thinking too big. I mean, maybe they should kind of actually start thinking more locally rather than thinking globally, uh, which would definitely change change their tune in terms of the how they operate. And and also yeah, and also how much how much money they spend on transfers too, right? That's what's so disappointing about Manchester City. Going back to the initial question we started the podcast on with me, Manchester City joining this uh, the Super League is Manchester City's ownership has even though they've invested in all these clubs around the world, like I mentioned, uh, uh, Joe Lewis and Daniel Levy once did that um, with the INC. They um, they have been really focused on East Manchester, redeveloping the community, working within the community. Uh, it's not like Old Trafford uh, down the street a bit, a couple miles away, where uh, the stadium seems to be falling apart, right? right? The people who visited Old Trafford recently, Manchester United fans, have come back and told me that. They're like, ground is, like, is a dump, well, really. There's a rat problem. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, it's like the Orange Bowl was for 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 the University of Miami. Well, maybe not that bad. Football team, no, maybe not that bad. Okay, <laughs> not not, not that bad. But there's uh, there's a section uh, of the stadium that's uh, is right next to a railroad track, and it's uh, where all the um, the kind of the, the main offices are. So that that's in massive need of uh, redevelopment, um, and that's the one section that they've been battling over to try to figure out how do they do they kind of uh, can they build it over the railroad track. Uh, so, so some of it is things that are in the way, but 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 yes, the stadium itself is starting to get run down and uh, showing its age for sure. The paint paint's coming off, right? All this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So 
that's uh, that's what's so disappointing about Manchester City's decision to join this is that they've shown a much stronger commitment to the local community. But most of these clubs have not, right? Most of these clubs, they're not they're not concerned about that. They haven't invested locally. Uh, Liverpool, uh, I mean Liverpool. Can... I mean Liverpool. But when Liverpool I, has, I, yeah, I guess true. in a way though, too, in terms of that was more about the stadium, but also the the area around Anfield where they're trying to redevelop it. Um, but but not to the extent of Man City. Man City's done a really really good job in terms of uh, development in the area, uh, not not just the stadium, and right next door to it. Roberto says this is the first time I have ever been disappointed with the podcast. The two of you know the history of what is called the Premier League. In the early nineties, the Big Six were threatening to break away and form a Super League. In nineteen ninety two, the Premier League was formed that caved in to all of the demands of this Big Six. It set up a system of money distribution that guaranteed the big six would always be on top. Uh, they were always the rich. They were already the richest teams due to being in the biggest markets. Back then, if I, re- I remember correctly, there were no American owners. So to somehow blame this continuation of that process of being even more greedy on the Americanization of the game is far off the mark. With all the problems of franchise-based systems, at, at least they distribute the money evenly and have a draft set up that tries to keep balance by giving the worst teams a chance to improve. In the Premier League, that richest uh, buy the best players from the lower teams and stay on top. These cap, uh, the, the last two seasons, the Premier League has had more balance due to some of the lower teams having a better scouting and the rich buying the most expensive and not always getting value for their money and some serious incompetence. Lastly, what I have loved about uh, soccer is its history as a working class game with the formation of the Premier League that has been eroded. Going to games is now almost beyond the budget of most working class people. Therefore, they are left with a paywall for TV viewing that gives the money uh, gives money to the people who created the Premier League. Your friend John Nicholson, in his book, commented commented it on the above. On the, on the above, and if I remember, predicted this fiasco. You're blaming American owners for the the second attempt of a Super League is only partly correct. They were for sure very supportive of the, of the plan. Uh, MLS is a franchise system, but the money from the fees does support all of the teams. There are and have been some teams that have stayed on top due to rich owners, but also due to better management. Every year, there are some of the same teams on top and some new ones. More teams can get to the top in MLS. Billionaire owners and billionaires in general are a problem. Nice problem. uh, I'm sorry. Nice people generally do not become billionaires. This has been a serious rant, but the title, The Americanization of Football, was a bad start. This Super League, as I already said, was part of a process that did not start last week. So, so Roberto, so definitely good feedback, and I appreciate that. Um, just, just, just to clarify, though, too, that the title of the, the podcast episode was, um, I believe, the Americanization of European Soccer. It was not the American, Americanization of soccer uh, in general. But, uh, but some of the points you do raise are things that we definitely discussed and and, um, and, and disagree about. I mean, the, the thing about MLS, um, and again, it's, it's a very watchable league. It's a very fun league. It's in terms of the way that they're, they're implementing VAR, which is um, not using it that much and uh, letting some of the, the questionable calls just go. Just go with it. Let's give the, give the advantage to the forwards. 
uh, which does create a more free-flowing uh, experience. And there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, it is entertaining, for sure. But, um, but with MLS, talking about them having all these top teams and it, it rotates and things like that, effectively, MLS is, is a cup competition, right? You've got the, the teams competing from March or April through till usually August or September. And then uh, you just have to make the playoff system. You have to you mean, be in, in, in the top half or sometimes uh, not even in the top half, uh, like into Miami last season. And, and you qualify. And then all of a sudden, it's okay, let's go ahead and put all these uh, names in a bucket. And yes, we'll give some uh, priority to some of the teams that finished, um, uh, you mean, winning the supporters' shield that nobody really cares about. And now let's go into a round-robin cup competition, and then we'll, we'll pick a winner. You can take any league. The, the German league is probably the one league that everyone criticizes for having the same team almost every year winning that league. But at, at the end of the season, if you said, okay, Bayern Munich, here's a token trophy, a congratulations. Nobody really cares about it. But now Look we're going to— the DFL Poco. I, I just went through this with someone today that it's yeah. actually— it, it's actually now, Chris. Don't get defended by this as, as, as a defender of the English system. The the, Dia, the 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 German Cup is actually proving now to be more competitive than the FA Cup or the League Cup in England. More teams are winning it. There's more right. because there's no one outside the top six that wins. Swansea, I think, is the last team uh, that's won a, a, a cup comp, one of the two major domestic cup competitions that wasn't a top top six club. So yeah, continue. Oh, we can. Yeah, oh, you're, we, you're, 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 you make a good point because it's a cup competition effectively. I'm right, concerned. right. So so you will get whoever wins it. It's going to be. You mean it's not? It's not a league competition. It's it's a cup competition. That's why it's called the MLS Cup, uh, and that's towards the the very very end of the actual season. So, so yeah, Roberto, you you make good good points, and and definitely the the reason that the Premier League existed in the first place is that uh, David Dean and many of the um, the owners of the clubs in the UK. We're going to NFL games. I think David Dean yeah. was going to watch the Miami, the Miami Dolphins, and um, you mean in, in the late late eighties, uh, early nineties. Lord 90s. Sugar was uh, was watching the NFL. Uh, and, Who was and, it? Uh, uh, Lord Sugar was watching okay, the NFL. Uh, right at Spurs. Yeah, Alan Sugar. And so it, so and, yeah, and uh, uh, that's it. Absolutely right. So I think there were a lot of good points in that in in in, in that rant. If you want to, since he called it a rant himself. But um, on the 92 breakaway, I completely agree with you. I have said over and over again for years, and this is another thing I clash with pro-rel supporters in the U.S. about. They say, oh, the English system's perfect. I say, no, it isn't. I, the English system to me was much more perfect. It was never perfect, but much better before 1992. The Premier League was an attempt by the elite teams to hoard money, to not share television revenue uh, with, with teams further down than the pyramid and to choke uh, choke kind of the, the, the money hold. And there was a dispute at the time between the Football League and the FA. So the FA sided with these breakaway clubs uh, that were trying to dismember the Football League. However, uh, the big five at the time, which was Arsenal, Spurs, Man United, Liverpool, and Everton, the big five that, that, that pushed the Premier League breakaway, were building it along American lines. As Chris said, I was going to make the same exact point, Chris. They were watching the NFL. I've read two books about the formation of the Premier League, uh, and they're both uh, they're blanking out on... Yeah, the one, one the one that's like what? BBC, uh, go ahead. Uh, it was it was that Empire of uh, I forgot the name of it, but um, yeah, it was written by a BBC journalist, and then there was another one. I've written I've read two books about them. Both talk about the NFL element, which is another reason why I 
I, I clash with these pro-rel supporters here because they say, oh, MLS is totally built on the MLS model and it needs to be like England. Well, I, I say to them very uh, with good evidence backing me up that, well, the Premier League was built on the NFL model and they couldn't close the system off completely, but this was a step toward it. So understand we're not always just talking about American owners and American chief executives. We're talking about American ideas. And that was the basis of the formation of the Premier League. So you're absolutely right. 1992, this started with the with the Premier League breakaway or 1990, really, when those five clubs went to ITV at first. They ended up with Sky, as we know. But uh, the FA uh, was was tacitly encouraging them to dismember the Football League. Uh, but it was all based on American ideas. That they, they, This idea came from the U.S. It came from watching the NFL. Yeah, so the book title, one of the books you mentioned, Kartik, and I think you read it, I read it too, which is very, very good. Actually, the first half of it's really good about talking about the formation of the Premier League. And then the second half is just usually mostly stories that we've, we've already know if, if you're hardcore soccer fans. But it's called The Club, how the English Premier League became yes. the, the wildest, richest, most, disrupt, most disruptive force in sports by Joshua Robinson. And it's really, really good. Highly recommended there. All right. JP says, I was also steadfastly against the Super League and elated it's dead. Have to echo some of what Brian has said in uh, his feedback above. The problem the big clubs have is the need to continually spend in order to stay on top and in turn receive the money that comes with that. When the spending doesn't correlate with with results, they are left in a bad situation. Seems the issue is one of cost and revenue uncertainty, and perhaps a salary cap would solve most of these problems, as there would be cost certainty on no club could stray from the upward bound, basically saving the owners from themselves. FFP was supposed to solve this, but obviously hasn't, or is uh, is probably too complex of a method to achieve the the desired result financially solvent teams i hate the the idea of a salary cap love how global soccer is the most capitalistic of all sports and would not want to see it become like the socialized nfl model rock in a hard place happy for now that the potential day of reckoning is pushed off completely agree Kartik I, I really really agree with uh jp um i, I think having no salary cap does make it more interesting um yes you got, you're going to have those big clubs or those big spenders and uh some clubs will go out of control spending but uh usually there's an, another billionaire to come in and save them um it does make things make things a lot more exciting in my opinion Anthony says, I still think that some kind of Super League, as defined by more games played between wealthy clubs, is likely over the, over the next few years. Here are, the, here are the drivers. Number one, clubs like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Milan, Juventus, etc. will need to continue to spend more to remain competitive without guarantee of success in Europe. Number two, the growth of domestic league TV rights has slowed on a global basis and leagues like La Liga and Serie A won't be able to significantly increase the money they make on their TV deals, resulting in less revenue growth for Spanish and Italian clubs. Number three, Spanish and Italian clubs will continue to lure or try to lure uh, various Premier League clubs into a Super League, and some will want to take advantage of that. The next Super League will probably feature many more teams than can be inv- invited. Let's say 15 founding members and nine invitees 
with relegation possible for consistent underperformers. This could make it more palatable to fans. It could even be structured as a replacement for domestic league competition for those involved with five or ten teams relegated, promoted every year. Uh, Super League teams would only compete in that league. And in their domestic cups, if they are relegated, they go back to the domestic league. Some parallels there too, actually, with um, Liga MX in terms of the way that's structured. And and, and again, this could happen. This is likely to happen. It's just who's going to actually be the one to organize it. I, I think it's FIFA. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it's going to be Florentino Perez again, or if they think that he's made such a such, such a uh, hash this up so badly that they're going to want someone else. Uh, but yeah, I, I, there's no question the concept's going to come back, and there is no question to me that uh, you will see, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, you will see more and more uh, English clubs tempted by it, and they may if they if they if they miss out on a Chelsea or Man City this time, they might go for an Everton. Uh, although Everton's taking a pretty strong stand statement about it, but uh, they could go for even a, a club like Wolves with, with a history and with with Chinese owners and and uh, George Mendes being involved there, or a club like Leicester City. Who knows? Uh, because they need the Premier League clubs. This is important. Those clubs have uh, not run their businesses well. Real Madrid, Barcelona, and Juventus. Those three in particular. Uh, Inter is having some some money difficulties too of late. Those clubs need the English clubs to attract the global television uh, audience, the global media deals, the global sponsorship deals. They probably need a couple of German clubs too. It's it's hard to imagine them pulling this off without uh, German clubs. Now, do they try and tempt the corporate clubs? Do they try and say, hey, Hoffenheim, uh, which is in a tiny town, or, or uh, Wolfsburg or, or, or Leverkusen, right? Those are the three corporate, or actually Leipzig too now, right? Four corporate clubs in Germany. The rest are all yeah. member clubs. Uh, do they try and, and get those clubs to uh, to, 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 to split uh, with the member-driven clubs in the Bundesliga? That's a big question because mm-hmm. I, I think they're going to need German clubs and they're going to need English clubs. And maybe if they've struck out with Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund and Man City and Chelsea and and uh, and, and the clubs now that are, that are burnt by this, uh, the other English clubs, they'll go for just other ones and they'll go for other German clubs, German clubs that are corporate clubs that don't have to go to their boards and ask their members. I mean, they do, but they, I, I don't want to get into why those four clubs are different, but uh, they, they, they have, uh, they, they're able to probably get into those four clubs into the Super League more easily than they'd ever get Bayern in. All right, Kartik, we're going to keep it going because we've got uh, a few more letters from listeners and they're, and they're really good. They're all really good and I'm really enthused and positive about um, the reaction that uh, you, the listener, uh, are giving us. Because for the most part, again, a lot of the MLS journalists really stayed away from this topic. I think it was a little bit too close to home for them. And I think they weren't really willing to engage in the topic. A lot of these topics come back to Liga MX and MLS and how it's structured. And it asks a lot of questions. I think a lot of important questions. Just at the same time, it asks a lot of questions about the the way that the European leagues are structured. And I honestly believe that the European leagues, the way that they're structured, uh, especially with the Champions Champions League, etc., is not perfect either. And there's definitely things that can be improved. uh, But I think it's really good to have the conversation. Now, uh, let's take a, a little bit of a break and let's talk next about Eric. Eric says, with Turner Sports picking up the other half of the NHL rights, does NBC go all in on the Premier League now? What do you think, Kartik? Uh, 
probably, I think they need the content, but will the Premier League be satisfied with them being on Peacock? I guess maybe they'll have to free up the slots on USA and, and CNBC. That's easier said than done because I'm still not convinced. I know USA had a drop in viewership last year, one of the biggest drops of any cable channel, but I, I don't. I still think, and Turner found this, speaking of Turner Sports, I think they found this with Champions League, that preempting regular programming on uh, entertainment channels for live sports uh, sometimes isn't the best formula, particularly for soccer, right? So uh, USA in general used to show a lot more sports than they do now. So I'm not sure. I think that NBC may try, but uh, there might be better options out there for the Premier League. And although... It's possible this time, Chris, because of the breakaway, the, the the Super League situation, that the Premier League may just look for money and NBC has that and may be able to retain the rights based on that. If it all goes behind a streaming paywall, so be it. Yeah, I think uh, NBC will go all in to try to get the Premier League and try to renew it for no another three years. The challenge that they have is that Paramount Plus is right on their heels and I'm sure Paramount Plus is having discussions, CBS is having discussions with the Premier League, uh, as is ESPN. And it's a hot property because we know that from the English language side, it's the number one uh, most watched uh, soccer league in the United States. Uh, it will bring in a large audience uh, to your streaming service, to your TV uh, networks, whatever it may be. So wherever it goes, the soccer fans will go to. And I think uh, with uh, NBC losing the NHL rights, it gives them more of an opportunity to go in big to try to renew the deal. In the UK this week, um, Sky Sports, BT Sport and Amazon are in discussions to renew their current deal with the Premier League. And um, the Premier League didn't want to open it up for bids. I think partly because I think uh, the government might have gotten involved and might have said like, hey, We'd like some of these games to be on, on BBC uh, over the air, free to air, uh, ITV over the air, uh, and that might have decreased the uh, value of those rights. So uh, just as in the UK, it's in um, the best interest of the Premier League to renew the deals with Sky Sports, Amazon and BT Sport, it may be... I don't know. It may be the same in the US, but it's different in the US because you have more competition right now and some big media companies waiting to splash that cash. Um, and I think for ESPN Plus, I mean, they have the Bundesliga. Um, Paramount Plus has the UEFA Champions League, but they still don't have the number one English language soccer league available to them. And, and now is the time to do it if, they, if they're going to, going to try to get it. All right, so let's go back to the European Super League. Next up is, let's see who's next. It is Rich. I believe it's Rich. Yes, Rich says, uh, great pod for the most part. However, I want to rebut this idea that the teams need to be punished. Under US law, something highlighted during the college realignment saga of 10 years ago it is illegal to prevent an entity from leaving an organization beyond actual damages. Allowing for the fact that English law may differ on this, in theory, the 14 English clubs would have to prove some concrete loss due to the events of the past few days. As much of a scare it was to many of us who thought this idea was unsportsmanlike and boring, 
There's nothing inherently wrong with them exploring another business venture, assuming they didn't divulge uh, Premier League proprietary information in the process, which is a separate issue from the Super League formation itself. Kartik, there's some, there's some good information in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, Rich, I, I think you might be right. There's some speculation that it would not hold up under English law if there were some sort of lawsuit. Like, for example, uh, the Big East lawsuit against uh, University of Miami and uh, Boston College when they left the uh, left the Big East to go to the ACC. That, that was kind of the precedent for all of this uh, stuff with college sports. However, what apparently seems to be the course that some of the that the at least some of the executives at the 14 clubs want to pursue is this idea that even though you can't prove greater material damages there was breach of uh, breach of not a contract but breach of regulations premier league regulations because they didn't notify the other 14 teams in writing that they were going to pursue this breakaway now i've also heard from a source at manchester city that tells me that they were never really part of the breakaway they were exploring the breakaway <laughs> which I, you know the contracts will tell the story right right Perez claims that they were all in all the all 12 clubs were in uh, manchester city a source uh, is telling me no we were actually never in we we had signed uh uh, we had agreed to explore the the, the, the situation, explore this uh, option. So what might happen, Rich, is that you might see executives at the club sanctioned. You might see sanctions against, in the case of Manchester City, Farron Soriano. In the case of Chelsea, Bruce Buck. In the case of uh, uh, Manchester United, Ed Wood, well, Ed Woodward's going to be gone. But that might be the course this thing takes rather than sanctioning the clubs themselves. It might be sanctioning the executives who, uh, who 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 breach these rules or breach these contracts? That's the loophole to maybe get away with it. Is to is to bar uh, these executives from uh, decision making in the Premier League, which it, which would affect uh, effectively then weaken the power of those six clubs at least uh, within the Premier League group. So they might go about this in a roundabout way. But great 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 uh, comment here and. Uh, there are people who are saying exactly what you're saying that maybe in, in terms of uh, even UK law. Uh, you have to prove some sort of uh, permanent damage. And the fact that these clubs never did actually leave would lead the court uh, or the arbiter to say, hey, uh, West Ham, they didn't do irreparable damage to you. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this is almost like a legal pod at this point. But, but yeah. there, are, there are two things that Rich says that I disagree with. He says, there's nothing inherently wrong with them exploring another business event- venture. That I agree with, but uh, I think it was uh, Der Spiegel the uh, the German um, investigative publication that did publish excerpts of the contracts that supposedly were signed by these teams. So there's one thing about exploring, and there's another thing about signing contracts. Um, and the second thing is is that um, Rich mentions assuming they didn't divulge Premier League proprietary information in the process. Well. After this had happened, um, several of the Premier League representatives that are members of internal, um, I guess, discussion groups or meeting groups had been kicked out of those groups because they did have proprietary information about a lot of the things about what the Premier League has been doing in terms of growth plans and TV revenue plans in terms of uh, TV negotiations and all that insight into what the Premier League was doing. Given the potential for these, uh, the big six really 
to to say, well, uh, that's one thing, but uh, this is how much. Uh, you mean NBC's offering the Premier League for, to renew the rights, but if we go to Paramount Plus, uh, that's trying to get more than that. It, it definitely gives uh, that, that big six a huge advantage, and, and and they were kicked off those boards. Next up is Adolfo. Adolfo says, heard sh- I heard the show that touched on the European Super League, and you gentlemen made excellent points on European Super League. I agree with with the majority of them. One thing that was brought up was PSG's uh, rejection of the invitation to join the European Super League and what Marcotti from ESPN indicated. The real reason was because of their ownership of um, being sports and how they stand to lose from a broadcasting and business standpoint. I guarantee you, if ESPN had involvement in the European Super League, not one of their commentators or insiders would have been on record stating why the European Super League is so wrong on many levels, they would test it. Uh, they would test it as uh, best thing since uh, sliced bread. Yeah, and, and that's something too. Even with Sky Sports, I mean, Sky Sports's coverage was, I mean, ve- vehemently against the European Super League. But at the same time, in the UK, of, of course, Sky Sports has the majority of the rights to the Premier League. The last thing uh, they would ever want is for the big six to leave the Premier League because that those rights then and, and Sky Sports uh, subscriptions in the UK would probably plummet uh, if the rights to the European Super League went to DAZN or some other uh, streaming service or TV service. So, so what Adolfo says, yeah, is, is absolutely right. I mean, oftentimes... Uh, reporters will have a particular angle for a reason because maybe maybe the bosses say, "Hey, we we can't go on the other side and uh, champion the European Super League and and make it into the best thing since sliced bread." Because um, you mean we might lose our jobs. Eddie, um, I think it's Eddie Hooper or Eddie Hopper, uh, says, Hey, guys, I haven't listened to your podcast in a long time. So when the European Super League uh, came up uh, last week, I wasn't surprised one bit. I knew this was coming from as far back as five years ago. With each American owner, as well as people on, uh, on the influence of MLS, I knew they were going to try to change the European League one way or, or another. My involvement in lower league soccer happens happened when I supported the Dayton Dynamo FC for two seasons. Uh, back then, um, unfortunately, the club is no longer in, in, in existence, and I believe big money from the American soccer landscape is out to silence any club that follows anything close to an open system. I have to believe that fans from the clubs involved with the Super League would go up in arms over this transaction. Plus, there are too many people within the UK, Italy and elsewhere that would not allow this to happen. What the future holds, I don't know. But I do believe that the transaction of this last couple of weeks solidifies why the open system, um, which needs some tweaks of its own, is good for the game and is good for the fans. Although I am a Cleveland Brown fan, I do distrust um, with the American sports system and wish it would open up and allow other teams outside of its own franchises to face competition from other places. In my opinion, it would make things better and give opportunities for other locations to shine and thrive. It was so good to hear your voices on this topic, and I hope to continue to listen to you more frequently than I have, sadly, because of the loss of our club. 
my heart hasn't been into the sport as much until now. And Kartik, I think you know that, and I know that in terms of losing a club. I mean, and, yes. and having that emotional attachment to a club. Um, I mean, I'm sure some of the best experiences of your life and some of the best experiences of my life happened at local clubs. And both in your example and my example, those clubs do not exist anymore. Yeah, correct. And that's uh, and and that's a big part of uh, uh, of what drives me towards wanting open systems and fairness and and, and equality. And I, I and I guess it's easy for people who support MLS clubs that uh, they, they 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 and they're not they're disconnected from the rest of the permanent. And they don't care. I mean, right now I have this situation where there's an MLS club sitting in the stadium where uh, my club played, and my club will never come back because the MLS club now owns the stadium, owns the property. Uh, so that's the uh, that, that that's the reality of low, of lower division soccer in closed leagues for so many fans around this country, and they get into a team and the team is gone in three or four years, and they they, they get embittered. Either they they don't be, they quit soccer completely, or they become fans of clubs abroad, which is why MLS hasn't captured them. And I think last week we learned from the cultural divide that it'll be very tough for MLS to ever appeal to some of these fans. I saw uh, a lot of American fans who are fans of clubs in Europe who were very, very uh, angry and it kind of channeled what we talked about earlier, blaming MLS, blaming U.S. US soccer, all the the, the the closed league structure here and the rules that U.S. soccer has broken. I, that uh, piece I wrote, Chris, a lot of people uh, voiced the same uh, same sort of experience that, hey, you know, we uh, we quit U.S. soccer a while ago because they're, they're breaking all these rules. And, and we the, the, the last thing we want is uh, for them to now ruin European football the same way. So uh, I can totally relate to it. Last but not least is uh, Steve Marshall. Steve says the two of you were. Oh, by the way, Steve. Steve is a co-owner of a uh, of a local football club with me. So uh, that's true. Uh, the two of you were debating the prestige or importance of the Europe the uh, Europa League. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, and I'm simplifying a bit. But from what I understand, the crux of the argument was that Chris argued for its importance. Well, Kartik argued it wasn't that important. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I think that comes from Chris supporting Swansea, a team that has only reached European competition once in the past 25 years, to Kartik supporting Manchester City and following Dortmund, teams who over the past decade have been Champions League fixtures. If you ask fans of big clubs, they may not care about the Europa League, or for that matter, domestic cups. Um, but one of my favorite sports moments is Fulham reaching the Europa League final. And as someone who roots for Villarreal, um, uh, while I'm prepared for another letdown, I'm still thrilled with the possibilities that come from reaching yet another Europa League semi-final. I mention all of this to get to a point. The owners absolutely bear full responsibility for the Super League. And while I understand what they did was motivated by greed and desire to to impose an American-style closed system, I also wonder if they thought it was palatable due to misreading fan bases' trophy expectations and views of certain competitions not being big enough. Um, that said, while John Henry and the Glazers were rightly named and shamed, and you did, uh, did mention Stan Kroenke, I believe among owners of English clubs, the latter is true uh, 
uh, the arch villain in all of this, uh, Florentino Perez, has been almost cartoonishly bad through the process. He has twice presided over uh, the move of his NFL franchise, the LA Rams. I guess he's talking about Cronky. This Cronky. Yeah. Formerly the, the St. Louis Rams, who were previously the LA Rams, after he unsuccessfully tried to hold uh, cities hostage for new stadiums. But this is par for the course with his callous re- disregard for fans and communities. I wanted to note something else, though. I'm, I'm for promotion relegation in soccer and always believe in club over league. I think it's, uh, that's an absolutely fair standard to hold MLS and American soccer leagues um, against. Since MLS is only 25 years old, the USL in its current form is roughly the same age and NWSL has been around for less than a decade. But I also have a problem with closed systems in other American and Canadian sports. Uh, While pro sports are a relatively new concept in South Florida, most American sports leagues are more than 100 years old and have traditionally operated on that system. There's a lot of problematic aspects to it, of course. Kroenke is just one of several several villainous NFL owners since no fewer than seven NFL franchises have moved cities in my lifetime. And publicly funded stadiums in the U.S. are a plague. But there is still history there, especially with baseball. The Chicago White Sox have played in the same neighborhood for 120 years. Several other baseball teams have played in the same city for as long or even longer. There are generational and community ties there. Before I even followed soccer, the White Sox were my team. Members of my family have been going to White Sox games for more than 90 years. American sports are also kept interesting with parity. In the last decade, there have been eight different World Series winners, eight different Super Bowl winners, seven different NBA champions, and seven different Stanley Cup winners. And and I'll I'll end it there, Kartik, just because Steve goes on, which is some good feedback, but just for the... uh, just for time uh, constraint wise, uh, we won't go any more than that. But but it, but even like the World Series though too. I mean, again, the way that those leagues are structured, the World Series or competitions really right. It's em- effectively the MLS Cup all over again. It's got the World Series, you got the Super Bowl, uh, NBA. It, it, there there are cup competitions. It's not a, a really a league. Uh, the way that we think of leagues as, as soccer fans. Yeah, and uh, I, I actually, I mean, to the beginning, first point on the Europa League, as I think I said earlier in this show, it's more about it being on Thursdays. Truthfully, I, I mean, we've talked a lot about Champions League recently. I'm on record, and I've done it a lot, not watching Champions League at all during the group stage, because I think the same thing happens in the group stage every time. And this is why the Super League would have been especially annoying to me. I think that the big teams, as it is, play too much, <laughs> even in champ- this Champions League format. So I end up watching the Championship or League One. Uh, well, League One's generally not on, but Championship on ESPN Plus. There were a couple of match days earlier this year, or Champions League match days, where I watched the Championship and uh, got all kinds of criticism on Twitter. Oh, how can you not watch Real Madrid? Why are you watching Derby County instead? Well, to me, that's more compelling and competitive. So um, the issue with the Europa League for me has been Thursdays. But I would, Steve, share the moment of Fulham being in that final. That, to me, was a really big deal and a, and a, and a great moment. Uh, I think for football in this country, because there were so many Fulham fans, Clint Dempsey had, of course, scored the goal that got Fulham there in the second leg against Juventus uh, uh, in the in the previous round. And uh, that was even though he didn't start in that match, that was a uh, a, a really uh, a fun 
match for American fans and a big match for American fans to know that the club that they, they started supporting because there were so many Americans playing for them. Fulham even had Americans when they were still in the championship. Eddie Lewis, Marcus Hahnemann uh, had made it to a European final. And that's the dream that dies if you have a European Super League. So I, I enjoyed the feedback on that. But yeah, in terms of uh, American leagues, I don't think of them as much as leagues. You know, the one, the, 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 uh, the thing about MLS and the whole single entity versus franchise model, I think at least MLS is, is honest in, in being a single entity. These uh, um, NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball has an antitrust exemption, but NFL and NBA and NHL have franchises. But to me, they operate like a cartel, like a single entity. So um, I, I actually think maybe MLS is more honest in being saying, hey, we are a single entity, because to me, NFL, NBA and NHL also are. They're cartels. Uh, they should they should be forced to, uh, to 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 go to Congress and get an antitrust exemption if they're going to operate the way they do, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So they're not leagues. They're not proper leagues. I don't think the closed leagues in this in this country are proper leagues. That's my opinion, just based on my my view of sporting merit and competition. And competition doesn't mean a market leader closes off the market so no one else can compete, which is what effectively happens in these cartel closed leagues. All right, listeners, we want you to have your say. So we've covered a lot of ground in this uh, episode. Uh, most of it was uh, your feedback, and, and we really appreciate it. Uh, again, it can be focused on the European Super League, or it could be about uh, television coverage, streaming coverage, etc. We definitely want to hear from you. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. And uh, also, if you get a chance, check out our uh, YouTube channel uh, where we post a lot of how-to videos about streaming and uh, ways to watch uh, the beautiful game. So uh, in closing, Kartik, um, where can listeners uh, find you on Twitter if they want to keep up on your uh, opening of uh, Panini Packs and, and reading of The Economist? <laughs> Yeah, uh, KKFLA seven three seven. Thank you. All right, you can. Uh, I, I, I find it entertaining. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Gaffer, or you can also uh, at World Soccer Talk too. So uh, again, listeners, we really appreciate your feedback. This has been probably one of our longest episodes ever. Uh, no commercials, action packed all the way through. And honestly, we do really appreciate uh, your feedback, whether you agree or disagree with us. So thank you once again. And uh, don't forget, you can listen to the uh, podcast every Thursday uh, on uh, all of the podcast devices. And if you have a Google Home or an Alexa or any of the other assistants, you can also you can always ask them to go ahead and play the World Soccer Talk podcast on, on there. And chances, chances are it will come up. And Kartik, heading into another weekend of football, getting closer and closer to the end of the season. We've got the the French League that's still alive uh, in terms of a title race there. I think that's about it, right? I mean, is there anything else out there that's... that's, uh, France. uh, Well, no, the French League. I mean, uh, other than France, is there anything... I mean, the championship is done other than the playoffs. Spain? Spain, yeah. Okay, there you go. Spain. Spain and France. 
uh, both uh, uh, really tight. And then I guess uh, we now uh, have uh, races for uh, uh, two Champions League Champions spots. Champions League spots, right? I mean, uh, Italy, the four teams separated by two points, and in uh, obviously Germany and, and England, it's intense. But yeah, the, what to watch is France. Uh, I'm very curious what Pochettino is going to do uh, this week uh, against Ren. Uh, uh, over the weekend, they're they're, they're trying to chase down Lil. They're only a point back, but then um, effectively playing all his guys may cost them Champions League. So advantage Lil in that title race. So uh, if you want to watch the French League or anything else this weekend, enjoy your football. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 